Some of you were probably excited when you saw that screen say, uh, have a good week. And uh, <clears throat> you're getting a little excited, like this is a short service. Uh, but uh, before we open up God's word this morning, join with me in just in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to gather here this morning and worship you. Thank you for giving us voices that can sing praises to you. And Lord, what a great time of year to to sing Christmas carols and sing of, of your love for us and you coming to earth and dying for us. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we as a family to gather here and worship you. Lord, we're just thankful for the opportunity this morning we've had to hear about the leeches and just their ministry in, in England, Lord, and just the, all the opportunities that they have this Christmas season to reach out to their very dark community. And Lord, we pray that you would enable them to, to have a great uh, Christmas season of ministry. And we pray that, uh, that you might bring people across their path and help those people uh, that don't know you to realize their need for you. And we just pray for a fruitful ministry there in England this December. Lord, we're thankful for the Benners who are our missionaries of the week and just the, uh, their love for you and their love to share you with others. And we pray that you'd bless them in their ministry as well. And Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that, uh, that we can come before you and ask that, uh, uh, that you'd help us to understand your word. Your Holy Spirit might guide and direct us as we look into your word today. And Lord, it's my prayer that everything we do and say might bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our, our nativity series, Figures of Faith, and this morning we're going to talk about not your average Joe. Uh, not your average Joe. So if I would say the phrase average Joe, what comes to mind? Uh, for some of us who live in the reality TV age, uh, in, in the last number of years, the reality TV has, has latched on to this concept of average Joes, and they've made some shows about it. Actually, NBC had a show called Average Joe. And what they did is they took some awkward and average-looking guys, and they had them try to win the heart of a beauty queen. Uh, and that was their show, Average Joes. Another, another reality show was called Pros vs. Joes. And Pros vs. Joes. And they took some amateur uh, uh, individuals, and they had them compete in athletic contests against professional athletes. And so you see that, you know, the reality TV was, has been interested in this concept of average Joe. But it, really, if, if I say the word phrase average Joe, what comes to mind is right normal, ordinary, nothing special, average. Uh, they kind of blend in. And this morning, as we continue looking at the nativity and figures of faith, we're going to talk about, we're going to focus our attention on Joseph. And at first glance, it may seem like he's pretty average. I mean, really, he's briefly mentioned in the Gospels. And, and, and because of that, we don't know a lot about Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. But you know what? As we begin this morning, there's a few things we do know about him. There's a few pieces of information that we do know about Joseph. Joseph. And number one was this. In Matthew 13, it tells us that he was a craftsman or a carpenter. He was a craftsman or a carpenter. He worked with his hands. He, you know, he, he had a trade. He had a skill. And that's what he did. And so he, he was a craftsman or a carpenter. So, so that's one thing we know about Joseph. 
We also know that he was a righteous man, and we'll see that this morning as we look in Matthew chapter 1. He was a righteous man. He decided and and desired to do what was right, to honor God with his life. And so he worked with his hands, and, and, and he was a craftsman, and he desired to honor God with his life. He wanted to do what was right. And finally, as we look this morning, we see he was a real figure of faith in the nativity, the birth of Jesus. One thing is for certain about Joseph. He may be obscure, but he wasn't ordinary. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to camp out there for a while, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 25. And we're going to kind of walk through this story and just examine Joseph and all that he's going through in this story. And we begin with Joseph's dilemma in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew chapter 1. It says that this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We're going to walk through this passage phrase by phrase, and the first phrase that we want to look at was Mary was pledged to be married. Mary was pledged to be married. Now, uh, for those of you who are married, can you, remember, can, can you remember your engagement? Do you have an engagement story? I, I have an engagement story. It, it was uh, uh, the summer, of Dana and my, uh, summer before Dana and my senior year of college. And, and, and I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, so I knew that I needed to buy a ring. And that means that I needed money. And that means that I needed to work two jobs to save up for this ring. So from 7 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night, I worked to earn money for this ring. And, and, so, and so things were going well. I was saving the money, and it looked like I was going to be able to get the ring. The next thing was the plan. The plan. And to me, there was one thing that was so important about uh, getting engaged, and it was that was Dana would be surprised. I wanted it to be a surprise. I didn't want her to have any idea. No go looking at rings or anything like that. I wanted her to be surprised. And so we're about halfway through uh, the summer, and, and Dana's parents invited me to go along to the beach with them at the end of the summer, and Dana loves the beach. And I thought, what a great place to get engaged, at the beach. Well, one night after I was done working, I went out to spend some time with Dana, and she's like, my dad and I, we had an interesting conversation today. I'm like, oh yeah? What about? He's like, he, we, he was talking about getting engaged, you and me getting engaged. And he said to me, you know what? I think Jonathan's going to ask you to marry him at the beach. <laughs> and my face must have just like, my countenance must have fell. And she was like, oh, maybe you were going to do that. And so I had to redirect and kind of lead the conversation somewhere else. And I remember going home that night. And I walked in the house and I sat down with my dad and I said, dad, it's ruined. He said, what are you talking about? I said, the surprise is over. I want this to be a surprise. And my dad, being the very wise person that he is, he's like, Jonathan, getting engaged, is not, it's not so important that it's a surprise. What's important is you pick the right lady to get engaged with. And I said, Dad, you don't understand. I want it to be a surprise. So I had to go with plan B. And, uh, and plan B was great, but it didn't exactly work out the way that I thought it was going to be. But you know what? In Jewish culture, they didn't get married. They didn't get engaged like that. It wasn't anything like that. In the, in the Hebrew custom, marriages involved two stages. It involved two stages. First was the betrothal and then the marriage ceremony. 
And it's interesting that Hebrew marriages were almost always arranged by family. They were almost always arranged by the families of the bride and groom, often without consulting them. Think about that, students. How, how, how would you like that if your parents set up your marriage? Maybe some of you would. Maybe some of your parents have threatened to. Uh, you know, uh, maybe some of you wouldn't like that. But that's how it happened back in, in, in Jesus, in, in Mary and Joseph's day here. Uh, the Hebrew families arranged uh, the marriages, and a contract was made and sealed by payment of a dowry or bride price, which was paid by the groom or his family to the bride's father. Now, some of you who have a lot of daughters, you're thinking, let's bring this back. Let, you know, let, let, let's bring this back that the groom's family would pay us to marry uh, our, our daughters. The dowry served to compensate the father for wedding expenses and to provide a type of insurance for the bride in the event that the groom became dissatisfied or divorced her. Once they, once they agreed on the price and the price was paid, the couple was officially betrothed. The contract was considered binding as soon as it was made, and the man and woman were considered to be legally married, even though the marriage ceremony and the consummation often didn't occur to us to like a year after the contract and the betrothal was entered into. And the betrothal period served as a time of probation and testing of fidelity. During that period, the bride and groom usually had little, if any, social contact with each other. And so here we see that Mary and Joseph are in the betrothal period. Uh, their families had agreed on a price, and the price was paid, and, and they started down the process, but they have not yet been married. We go on to the next phrase. It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Again, just a reminder that, you know, they were betrothed, but they had not had their marriage ceremony. They had no sexual contact with each other. And so before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now think about Joseph in this situation. When he found out about the pregnancy, I think, you know, we can anticipate some of his natural reactions. And the first of his natural reaction probably would have been this, Mary's loose. Mary's loose. The scripture just said that Joseph and Mary had not been married, so they hadn't had sex, they hadn't consummated their marriage. And you know what? In Luke chapter 2, it tells us that she had been out of town for three months visiting her relative Elizabeth. She's been out of town for three months, and so the, the expected explanation that I'm sure Joseph came to was, you know what? Mary's been gone for three months we haven't had sexual relations together, so obviously when she was gone, she, she, she had sex with someone else, and now she's pregnant. A natural response of Joseph would be, you know what, Mary's loose. She's not been faithful to me. Another natural response of Joseph would be, Mary is a liar. Not only, did, you know, not only did she, you know, is she pregnant, but now she's trying to lie and cover it up. She was only, not only unfaithful, but she was untruthful. I'm sure Joseph is thinking as Mary tries to explain to him, listen, I'm pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure Joseph is thinking, wait a minute. I've never heard a story like this before. This is crazy. After all, no virgin ever gives birth. It just doesn't happen. So Joseph probably in his mind is thinking, you know what, Mary is a liar. Not only, not only was she unfaithful to me, now she's trying to be untruthful. What am I going to do? 
But you know what? The reality is, as crazy as the story sounded, Mary was, tr- was pure and she was true. She was pure and she was true. Let's look at the next phrase here. It goes on and it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. While his anticipated response will be, you know what, Mary is loose and Mary is a liar, he responds in an amazing way. And it tells us that Mary is loved. It tells us Mary is loved. Because of his righteous moral standards, he knew that he should not go through with the marriage because Mary was pregnant. She was, she was pregnant, and he was assuming that it was someone else's child. And so, and so you know, he, said, he knew it wasn't right for him to go through with this. But because of his love and kindness, he could not bear the thought of shaming her publicly, which is what would normally happen in the day. If someone got pregnant during the betrothal period and it wasn't uh, with their, their, their future husband, uh, the, the community shamed them. And Joseph couldn't bear to think of that. Also in the Old Testament, if, if someone uh, ha- had sex with someone that wasn't their husband before they were married, they could be stoned to death, according to Deuteronomy 22. But Joseph loved Mary, and he, she, she didn't, he didn't want her to be shamed or stoned. And because he loved her, because he, because he loved her, because he didn't want her to go through all of that, he wanted to divorce her quietly. It's interesting as we look at Joseph, there's no evidence that he felt anger. No evidence that he felt resentment or bitterness. He was concerned about Mary. He loved Mary. He was concerned about her embarrassment and her shame. And so he he decided, you know what, I'll just simply divorce her quietly and try to cut down as much public shame and pain as possible. He truly cared about Mary truly cared about her. And so we see Joseph's dilemma. They were betrothed and she becomes pregnant. And and, and what does he do? What should he do? Move on. We see next Joseph's direction in verses 20 and 21. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. First phrase we're going to look at here in these verses, but after he considered this. And what is he considering? He's considering to divorce Mary secretly. And think about Joseph's life. I'm sure that this is probably the only thing that he can think about. I'm sure this dominates his thoughts. He went from thinking and planning on his new life to Mary to the fact that his dream was over. His dream was over. I can imagine he was looking in it for escape from the circumstances that he found himself in. So maybe he threw himself into his work. Maybe he thought, you know what, to get my mind off of this situation, I'm going to work. So he went into the wood shop. And maybe he goes into the wood shop and decides, you know what, I'm just going to put my hand to wood and I'm just going to make stuff because I just need to clear my head. And I, and I just need to, to, to try to, to, to get away from this. So maybe he went to work hoping that he'd forget about the dream that turned into a disaster. 
We're told that Joseph's also a righteous man, so maybe he decided to go to the synagogue and seek direction and guidance from God, seek some answers from God. Maybe, you know, in in the midst of this crisis in his life, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go to the place I know, the place that I've gone to before, and the person who I look look to for answers. I'm going to go seek God in his direction. So maybe he goes to the synagogue and, and he spends some time praying and he, and he spends some time just, just, just trying to, to get a handle on what is happening here. But somehow I got to believe that both work and church still could not keep him from focusing on what had happened with Mary. And I can imagine that the disappointment weighed heavily on him and wore him out. And maybe finally, just finally, he says, you know what? Work hasn't, hasn't given me my relief, and, and church is still, I haven't got the answers that I want, so maybe, maybe I'll just go to sleep, and maybe I'll get some peace as I sleep. Maybe in my sleep I can escape from all that is happening around us. And the next phrase that we see is, but an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And it's interesting Joseph finally falls asleep, and, and, and an angel comes to him. And the angel has some important things to tell Joseph. The angel has some important instructions and some imperative information that Joseph needs to know. And so we see that in, in, his, in this dream that he has, the angel's communicating to him. And the first, it gives him some instruction. First, it says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. You know, it's clear that Joseph was fearful, and if you were in his situation, in his culture, you would be fearful too. We, we can't fault him for that. Maybe he's fearful of the fact that Mary doesn't love him, that she loves someone else. After all, it's clear that Joseph cared for her, but maybe he's afraid that, that Mary doesn't love him anymore. Maybe he's fearful of what others might think of Mary and himself. Think about this. Think about the situation that they're in. If he told people that Mary was pregnant and that he wasn't the father, they would embarrass her publicly or worse, could call for her to to be stoned. It's not a good option. If he didn't say anything and continued their betrothal, eventually her pregnancy would start to show. And they would assume that he would have been unrighteous in having sex with Mary before they were married. So that would affect his reputation now too. Or maybe he'll just tell the truth. But if he tells the truth that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, people would think that he was crazy. So obviously he was afraid. He he didn't know what to do. What should I do? And the angel comes and he gives him some instruction. Don't be afraid. Take Mary to be your wife. So the angel gives Joseph some instruction. Next, the angel gives him some important instruction information. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is important information for Joseph to know. Mary had tried to tell him this, but I'm sure that his mind had got the best of him, and, and as much as he wanted to believe her, he, it was probably hard for him. But now the angel tells him that this baby is from the Holy Spirit, so Mary wasn't loose and she's not a liar. She told Joseph the truth. God had supernaturally impregnated her. That's important information for Joseph to know. That changes everything for Joseph. 
He gets some more instructions. You're to give him the name Jesus because, actually, the, 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 first of all, he, he gets some more information. She will give birth to a son. Not only is Mary pregnant, but the angel reveals the sex of the baby. And I don't know about you, but I remember when Dana and, and was pregnant for the first time, and she was adamant that she did not want to find out, which meant we did not want to find out what the sex of the baby was. And uh, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't kind of fall in line with that kind of thinking, but since she was doing the heavy lifting, I had no choice. Um, and so, so we went with that. And I remember going through the whole pregnancy, and, and, and everybody's saying, oh, you're going to have a boy, you're going to have a boy. The doctor's saying you're going to have a boy. The nurses in the delivery room, you're going to have a boy. And they deliver the baby, and it's, it's a girl. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what everybody was telling us. And, 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 you know, but here before ultrasound technology, the angel reveals to Joseph, you're going to have a boy. And find the last bit of information, he gets, he gets some instruction. Not only are you going to have a boy, but you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Jesus is a form of the Hebrew name Joshua. The basic meaning of that is Jehovah will save. And think about this. All other men who had the name Joshua testified by their names to the Lord's salvation. But this one who would be born to Mary not only would testify about God's salvation, but he himself would be their salvation. He himself would be their salvation. He would save the people from their sins. Joseph goes to sleep and an angel comes to him and it gives him some imperative information and some important instructions revealing God's will for Joseph's life. So we see Joseph's dilemma. Now we see his directions that he got through his dream. And finally, we're, we're, we're left with Joseph's decision. He got the directions. Now what is he going to do? In Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what an angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. What was Joseph's decision? Well, obviously, number one, uh, Joseph married Mary. He chose to live under a cloud of public shame. People would think either they're guilty of sexual immorality or he married someone who was unfaithful to him and now carrying an illegitimate child. But it didn't matter to Joseph. Joseph's decision was to do what was correct no matter what the cost to do God's will even in the face of difficulty and criticism. He knew that it wouldn't be easy, but he knew it was the right thing to do. He chose to marry Mary and chose to, to deal with all the baggage that came along with it because people would never believe their story. But he loved Mary. He got the important information that he needed to hear and he chose to take Mary as his wife. But you know what? That's not the only decision that he made. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 2. Because he chose to make another decision that I think is important for us to look at. Luke chapter 2, verse, verses 1 to 7. Joseph married Mary. He made that decision. But you know what? 
he made another decision. In, in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, it says, In the days of Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to their firstborn son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no room for an inn in the inn. Joseph married Mary, but you know what? Joseph stayed by Mary's side. He stayed by Mary's side. You know, he just didn't go through with the marriage and it was just kind of a, you know, well, we'll just do this just to, just to show everybody else that, that we did what was right. And, and just, just for a show, you know, he stayed by Mary's side. He, he made the journey with her from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it was 90 mile journey. And it would take taken at least three days, and it was full of dangers and discomforts. There were bandits to be avoided, as well as lions, bears, and jackals that roamed the Jordan Valley. It wasn't a very, hey, let's take a Sunday stroll through the desert kind of deal. Uh, It was dangerous. It was grueling. Mary and Joseph would certainly be roughing it, shivering and sleeping under the stars. There were no, there were hardly any inns on that way, and if there, if there were inns, they weren't safe to stay in. And then just as they, they think that, you know what, we're almost there, at the very end, they got to climb 4,000 feet uphill to get to the town of Bethlehem. Joseph stayed by Mary's side. He was Mary's helper. Not only did he marry her, he was, he was devoted to her. He, he chose to stay with Mary. And the final thing that we see in Matthew chapter 2 is, you know what, Joseph cared for Mary and Jesus. He cared for Mary and Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, we see that Joseph has some more dreams. He gets some more dreams. Now Jesus has been born. And in a dream, an angel Lord comes to him and says, you know what, Herod has it out for Jesus. Herod wants him dead. So pick up everything and leave and go to Egypt. Joseph, no questions asked, says, you know what, I care for Mary, I care for Jesus. We're gone. We're gone. And they go. And they go to Egypt because Joseph loved Jesus, and he wanted what's best for Jesus, and he wanted what's best for Mary. And while they were in Egypt, we know that Joseph had another dream. And in that dream, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, hey, you know what? Herod is dead. Jesus is safe. You can move back to Israel. And they moved back to Nazareth. As we look at these decisions that Joseph made, the thing that strikes me about Joseph was he was all in in this marriage. He was all in. He wasn't discontent. He wasn't disconnected. He was, you know what? God told me to marry Mary, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do everything in my power to be her helper. He held nothing back. He chose to obey God. 
So the question that I think about, you know, why did Joseph marry Mary? Why did he stay by her side during pregnancy and care for her and Jesus? And the clear thing is, you know what? He wanted to do the will of God. He wanted to do the will of God. He desired to do God's will. And you know what? There's nothing greater that can be said of us if we feel the same way if we desire to do the the will of God. You know, as we read the story of Joseph, it's an amazing story, but we get to the end and we say, okay, that's great, but, but now what? Now what? What is our application point? Well, in closing, I think there's just a few things that we can take away from this story. And, and uh, just like Joseph, God desires us to follow him and his will. He wants us to do that. And doing what God wants us to do is always the best, but it's not always easy. It's always the best, but it's not always easy. And you know what? There's going to be a time in our life when we face a dilemma, when we face a difficult situation. And and the question is, what do we do when we face a difficult situation? What do we do when faced with a dilemma? What do we do? Do we complain? Do we, uh, do we make excuses? What do we do? Hopefully, hopefully we seek some direction. Hopefully we look for some direction. And, and the question is, who do we seek direction from? And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, we all face difficulties in our life, and God brings them into our lives for our benefit, for us to grow and mature. And in the midst of those difficulties, we need some good direction. And God, in his word, makes it clear that we can seek direction from a number of places. First, we need to seek guidance from God's word. We need to seek guidance from God's word. Uh, in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When I read that verse, you know, it reminds me time and time again that God has given us his word, the Bible, for guidance. God has given us the Bible for direction and correction. Because sometimes we don't follow uh, maybe God's word or God's lead, and, and sometimes we need to be corrected. But God has given us his word for direction and correction. And the question is, you know, where do we go for guidance? Hopefully we go for, to, to God's word. It also tells us we should seek guidance from God through prayer. And if you've ever read through the Psalms, you know that the Psalms are, is just, in a lot of the Psalms, David is pouring out his heart to God. He is seeking God and seeking God's face and wanting direction. And in Psalm 25, 4 and 5, it says this. David is, is praying to God. He says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all the day long. I like that because here it says, you know what? It's obvious that David is facing a dilemma, and he goes to God in prayer for direction. And as I think about my life, and I think about the times when I face difficulty, is that my first response? Is my first response to cry out to God and say, God, you know, I, I need you to give me some direction. You are truth. You are good. You, are, you, you guide me. Give me some direction. But we can go to God through prayer for some guidance. We should also seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. 
It's interesting, as you read through the Gospel of John, you get to John chapter 14, and Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples that, you know what, he is going to heaven to prepare a place for them, and that he is going to leave them. Jesus had been, them, been with them for three years, and he's helped teach them, and, 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 and now he's gone. He's going to be leaving them. And Jesus reassures them, you know what, but I'm going to send the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you. In John chapter 16, verse 13, says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the good news as believers in Jesus Christ, as when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And why does he indwell us? To help us understand truth and to guide us into truth. So when we're faced with a dilemma, we can get direction from the Holy Spirit. And find the last place we can get direction, we should seek guidance from godly individuals. We should seek guidance from godly individuals. In Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And hopefully we all have people in our lives that are godly individuals when we're faced with a difficult situation or when we need to make an important decision that we can go to them and seek some direction and seek some guidance and seek some wisdom. And the important thing in all these things is that, you know what, when we go to God in prayer and, and when we seek guidance from the Holy Spirit and seek guidance from other godly individuals, the important thing is that, you know what, any advice that they give us should never, ever, ever contradict scripture it should never ever contradict what god has said in his word because that's not godly advice that's not the right kind of advice that we need i was talking to someone this week about joseph and just you know how how can we how can we make this apply this to our life and and it comes down to you know you know we when we face a dilemma we need direction and then we're we're left with a decision and are we willing to make the right decision even if it's difficult are we willing to make the right decision even if it's difficult i was talking to uh, to this individual about joseph and and he said to me this week he said you know what 99 out of 100 men would have never done what joseph did too costly too difficult, too problematic. We want God's will to be easy, to be the path of least resistance. But God doesn't guarantee that his plan and his path is easy. But he does tell us that it's for our benefit and it's for our best. When we think about the life of Joseph, he may have been obscure but he wasn't ordinary. He wasn't ordinary. If Joseph was here today and we asked him, Joseph, are you disappointed? Are you disappointed that you didn't get more press? Are you disappointed that uh, you're only mentioned a few times throughout Scripture? Are you disappointed that maybe you're the forgotten figure in the nativity? I believe he would say resoundingly, no, I'm not disappointed. And I think that he would tell us that, you know what, I had the amazing opportunity to be a small part of God's story of redemption through Jesus Christ. Wasn't easy, but man, what an amazing opportunity that I had to be the son of God's adopted father. What an amazing, amazing opportunity. 
You know what? Our world is full of average Joes. It is. But I believe that God desires us all to, to be not so average Joes. Deciding to follow God's direction, no matter the difficulty that we may face. And you know what? Just like Joseph, we have the opportunity to be part of God's story of redemption through Jesus Christ. Just like Joseph, we have a small part in God's story of redemption. If we're willing to follow him and, 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 and do his will. So this Christmas, let's decide to obey and follow his directions. Let's be willing to be used by God to serve our Savior, no matter what it costs.